Hallelujah. Conviction is a gift from God. I said conviction is a gift from God. Hallelujah. It keeps us in line. The Bible tells us to warn those who are unruly, people who get out of line. Well, that means you warn them because obviously they've lost that touch with conviction. So God will send you to say something with your bold self. And it's not church hurt if they quit. It's, it's, it's accountability. They call it church hurt. And they quit the church. They leave and find another church because, oh, you said something about my dress. Well, your dress was too high. It was hiked up too high. You were showing off all your goodies to the deacons. Somebody ought to say something about that. Hallelujah. Glory to God. So conviction is a gift from God. And they've, so if you get rid of conviction, then you also must get rid of repentance. Because you would need no repentance if there's no conviction. And they teach things such as 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. How many of y'all know 1 John 1, 9? That if we confess our sins to him, say it now. He is what? Faithful and just to what? Forgive us of our sins and what else? But the goofy grace teachers teach us, they, they say that that scripture is not for the New Testament believers. Yet, John, who wrote this, uses personal pronouns. He's a New Testament believer. He said, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He's a New Testament believer, and he knows that repentance is part of the New Testament experience. But if you can get rid of all that, then you get people in trouble. And what happens without conviction and without repentance, I want to make sure I say this to you, you and I will be off course and eventually out of the faith. In other words, you, you, can, you can, if you're driving in your car and you begin to doze off, you fall into this little uh, lull when you're driving, and all of a sudden you start hearing do 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 What is that? That do 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 is conviction. To get back in the lane. Right? How many of y'all have heard those, those bumps? Probably today you heard them. And because <laughs> you got to keep it in the middle of the road. Tell your neighbor, you got to keep it in the middle of the road. You got to stay in the lane, son. You're going to tear something up. And those, those bumpers are conviction for us. But conviction is one thing if you don't correct that, which is repentance, you will eventually be out of your lane and crash and burn. And what happens, people, when they don't make the corrections, then we, you end up off course and eventually out of the faith. I want to look at a scripture, 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1 and 2. They'll put it on the screen for us. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1 and 2. Listen to what it says. Listen to what it says. Now the Spirit that's the Holy Spirit, expressly says that in the latter times, some will do what? So it's possible to leave the faith. Oh, once saved, always saved. That's no telling no such a lie. He says some will depart from the faith. That means they were in the faith. They were walking with Jesus. 
They were walking with the Lord. They were serving God, and they departed. They left. Hallelujah. Giving heed, here's how they departed. Why? Giving heed to what? Deceiving, Deceiving spirits and what else? Verse 2, watch, it keeps going. Speaking lies in hypocrisy, and watch this last part. Here's the kicker. Having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. Now, what are you talking about, conscience seared with a hot iron? When you, anybody ever cooked a good steak? Well, the, when you cook a good steak, when you want to cook a good steak, you first have to sear that steak. Hallelujah. You season it well, rub it down and marinate it, all that kind of stuff you do, and then you lay it on a, on a real, I mean extremely hot skillet or griddle or whatever, and you sear it. And what you're doing when you're searing it, you're, you're trying to lock in the juices in there. And then you go ahead and finish your cooking process. Because once it's seared, the, the juice can't escape it. So when you have your conscience seared with a hot iron, nothing can pass through anymore. So when your conscience is seared, uh, you, if, you, if you ever burnt yourself and seared your finger, seared your arm, you, you, you can't feel anything. And so people, if they depart from the faith, what ultimately has happened is that their consciences have been seared with a hot iron, which means that God is still trying to bring conviction, but they can't feel it. Somebody will come and say something, hey, you need to get that right. That's not how we walk, and they can't feel it, which is why now they will start speaking lies and hypocrisy. I mean, and there's some translations you read. I don't have time to go through all the different translations, but some will say that people, that they'll, they'll start speaking lies with no feeling. Do you wonder why you hear some preachers today, you catch them on YouTube, on TikTok, and they're saying some of the most wild and vile things. You're like, how in the world are you standing in God's pulpit saying that and with a straight face, not laughing, not joking, no ha, ha, ha? How are you doing that? It's because they're seared. And the demonic and the the... Deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons have been locked in. And the truth of God is now locked out. Boy, did that help anybody right there. So, so what happens is if there is no conviction, then eventually your conscience gets seared. If there is no repentance, your conscience gets seared. That's why the Bible says, do not grieve the Holy Ghost. Do not grieve, or actually another place, do not quench. First Thessalonians, I think it is. Do not quench the Holy Ghost. In other words, you know, we, we used to think quenching the Holy Ghost always just meant, you know, when the Holy Ghost moving, you just... Ooh, ooh. When, when everybody want to praise... Everybody want to dance, everybody want to shout, and the preacher say, yes, Lord. Yeah, oh, they quenching the spirit. They, quench, they shutting the spirit down. They, no, uh, that, that's, not, that's not really what he means. He's talking about not, don't, don't, don't disregard his voice. When he's speaking to, to you and me, when he's trying to give us instructions, trying to bring us correction, don't quench him, don't silence him. Don't, don't say, no, 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 no. Because he loves you. I said he loves you. 
And he's always going to try to bring correction and conviction. But if you shut it down enough times, then he has to back off. You read the first chapter of Romans, and you see it laid out over and over and over again. How the Bible says God gave them over. Have you all ever read Romans chapter 1? How God gave them over to a, to a reprobate mind. He gave, gave them over to uncleanness. He gave them over to lasciviousness. He gave them over to something. He gave them up. Which means he kept trying to talk to them, but because they kept, they, they believed the lie and resisted the truth, then God just does that. All right. Have it your way. And at that point, if the conscience, ladies and gentlemen, you better hear this. If the conscience is seared, it cannot be unseared. He's talking about believers back in that verse. Once the believer has drifted so far and resisted the spirit of God, once their conscience is seared, it cannot be unseared. That's why you and I must respond properly to the corrective education of God. The Bible says, whom the Lord loves, he chastens. Whom the Lord loves, he corrects. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Somebody say, I love correction. Say it again, I love correction. Hallelujah. Chasten me, Lord. God, point this out to me. Hallelujah. I don't want to think I'm something when I'm really nothing. Thank you, Jesus. Now, convict, I, want, I want you to catch this part. Conviction proves God's love for you. Hallelujah. Conviction reveals and proves God's love for you. Repentance reveals your love for him. I'll let y'all soak in that for a minute. Conviction reveals God's love for you. Okay, let me help you. Let me help you. Let me, let me help you. 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 Anybody here ever messed up? Yes. I'm gonna just no. Let me go beyond messed up. You sinned. Yes. Okay. All right. We like, we, like to, we like to dress it and clean it up. And you sinned, and the Lord dealt with you about it. Now, he didn't have to. He could have let you just go on about your business and bust hell wide open. But he loved you. So he dealt with you about it. I'm a witness now. See? I mean, anybody, I'm, I'm going to go a little further. Anybody ever got caught up in sin? You know, so you know what I'm saying? When some of y'all can be all quiet, you know, and never, never me, Pastor. Yeah, okay. All right, all right. God bless you. I'm talking about people you got caught up in sin. That means this, this wasn't just one time, it's just, I got caught up. Should no Christian ever get caught up in a, in a sin? That's true, but the Bible does say, brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fall. Galatians 5.1, if somebody's overtaken, that means you got caught up then you who are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness. Consider yourself, lest you also be tempted. 
So get off your high horse and don't judge me. So, so he says, so if he corrects us, if he brings the conviction, it's because he loves us. But when you and I repent, it reveals our love for him. See, he does the conviction, but he will not do the repentance. Hallelujah. I told y'all this is going to be tight. I look at y'all faces. He'll do the convicting, but he will not do the repenting. The repentance is on us. Hallelujah. And when we do that, we reveal our love for him. Well, in other words, what I'm saying is, it, it tells God that we didn't change our mind about him. God, I still love you. God, I still love you. And God, I, I realize I hurt you. And I'm sorry. Help me. Help me. I want to walk uprightly with you. Ultimately, what you're saying to God is because, is God, I love you. You love me so much, I love you back. <laughs> so conviction reveals God's love, but repentance reveals our love for God. Y'all got that? Now, remember I showed you a couple weeks ago, Numbers 21, about the children of Israel. They got out there in the, in the wilderness. They start uh, crying and weeping and, and uh, moaning and groaning and complaining, talking against God and his man. And uh, Numbers 21, verse 7 I want to go right to that verse because they made this bold statement. Therefore, the people of people came to Moses and said, now this is after they got uh, toe up. <laughs> okay? Remember, they got into sin, right? And what happened? The fiery serpents were allowed to come and start uh, stinging them, biting, biting them, and many of them died. And all of a sudden, they lighten the fast mind and say, hold up. Wait a minute. <laughs> We've been sinning. This this." Because it wasn't like this before we got into sin. Hallelujah. And they, 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 woke, they woke up and said, we have sinned. That's their declaration. We have sinned. And what's, what's happening here? They are now in a place of repentance. And once they repented, God relented on his punishment. Once they repented, God turned his heart. Once their heart turned back to him, he turned his heart back to them. Hallelujah. And everything that was devouring them, everything that was destroying them, he began to remove it. He gave them a formula. He gave them a way out. Said, he said Moses, you take this serpent, uh, make a serpent and, and put him up on a pole, and all who look at him, they will look, they, look, they will live. Hallelujah. Now, so I went through this Sunday. I'm still reviewing very, very quickly. Because the question is, well, yeah, that's Old Testament, but what did Jesus say about repentance? And I show you, showed you in Luke 13 what Jesus said, because people think, well, Jesus is all about grace. Well, the Bible did say grace came to Jesus Christ, but he said he came full of grace and truth. You can't have grace by itself. There must be truth along with grace. And so he's going to tell the truth, isn't he? So in Luke 13, when they brought him this story, hey, these, the Gal these Galileans, they were uh, destroyed. They, you know, uh, Pilate mingled them, their blood with the sacrifices. And he said, he said, do you think that they were worse sinners than, uh, than the other Galileans because they died like that? He said, no, but I tell you, unless you repent, you will also likewise perish. So he did two things there. One, he corrected their, their mindset about degrees of sin. 
Amen, lights. He corrected their mindset about degrees of sin because people, people want to put themselves on a pedestal because they're not as bad of a sinner, as much as a sinner as somebody else. But all unrighteousness is a sin. And the wages of all sin is death. So, so don't think you're all big and bad because just because you ain't out there, you know, slipping and tipping and dripping and, and all that stuff like that that people do in the world. No, 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 no. He said they're, they're not, they weren't worse sinners. They, they didn't get this because they were worse sinners. They got this because they were sinners. And their repercussions of sin. And then he goes on to say to them, he says, and unless you repent, you, because, you know, if they're going to bring Jesus a story, obviously they got this, you know, this thing about them. <laughs> you know, those sinners, those sinners got what they had coming. <laughs> yeah, isn't, isn't that how Christians sometimes get? We see bad things happen to sinful people and we go, <laughs> they got what they had coming. <laughs> those heathen. <laughs> I'm telling you how we can get. Y'all ain't saying much. I'm telling you how we can get. That's what they get. They, they talk about me. They should, they, they had, they got what they had coming. They put their mouth on God's anointed. They got what they had coming. Put their mouth on God's prophet. They got what they had coming. You see stuff like things like happen in Syria and happen in Turkey, these earthquakes and things that happen in Haiti. You say, well, yeah, they, they got all that voodoo going on over there. Yeah, they, they got what they had coming. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. God didn't do that. That's the devil destroying people's lives. And we should never be happy about anybody being destroyed. I said we should never be happy about anybody being destroyed. And certainly don't get arrogant and start thinking that just because we're not, we're not worshiping little dolls and sticking, sticking pins in dolls that we're better off than somebody. Because Jesus made this statement. He said, unless you repent, you will likewise perish. Now, you, can you imagine how much that had to, had to deflate their egos? Matter of fact, he didn't stop there. He went on, told him another story. He said, yeah, remember those ones, those Jews upon whom the Tower of Siloam fell upon them and it killed 18 of them? And he said, do you think they were worse sinners than, than the other Jews in town? He said, I tell you no, but unless you repent, you will likewise perish. Man, this, he's just deflating their ego. Their balloon just got bust in front of Jesus. And tonight, I want to make sure I bust all your balloons. So that we, we, we get a tenderness in our hearts that allows the Spirit of God to bring conviction when it's needed and that we will be so reticent about repenting when we must do it. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. We want to have uh, contrite hearts. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Then, then we answer this question, what about the cross? What about after the cross? Because Jesus talked about that. Because this is what the grace teachers say, that that was before the cross and everything changed after the cross. So I gave you Revelation chapter 2. And I'm going to read this one verse, Revelation 2 verse 5. And look at what it says here. But This is Jesus talking in Revelation 2 verse 5 after the cross. And he said, remember therefore from where you have fallen. Talking to the church of Ephesus there, right? He says, repent. So he's still preaching repentance. 
to the New Testament at post-cross church. He says, repent and do the first works or else I will come to you quickly and put your lights out. <laughs> That's what he said. I'm going to put your lights out. He says, remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. So Jesus Christ still is preaching and is still requiring repentance out of his people. Hallelujah. And then I'm going to go real quickly. We also dealt with this question because some people believe, well, you know, they say, well, I believe in God. I believe in Jesus. Isn't that enough? Isn't it enough that I just believe? Well, we gave you this James 2.19 where James is writing and he says, he says, hey, you believe in God? You do, you, do, you do well. That's a good start. He says, even the demons believe. Come on, help me out. So you believing doesn't put you on a higher plane than demons. Because demons believe, but demons will spend eternity in hell. Why? Because their belief does not have corresponding action. Y'all not catching it. They believe just like you believe. Demon, listen, demons know Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Y'all missing it. The demons know he rose from the dead. They were there. They had him in hell. Yes, Jesus, Jesus Christ spent three days in hell being tormented, tortured by every demon. I mean, I, I believe the earth probably was at peace for three days because I imagine every demon that the devil had at his, his disposal was there in hell torturing Jesus. Kill him. And, and all of a sudden, the third day, morning comes, all of a sudden, boom, he's gone. Where did, where did he go? Boss, boss, where did he go? Where did he go, boss? Better, where did he go? Oh, I was afraid this was going to happen. He kept saying this was going to happen. He kept saying he was going to get him on the third day morning. Didn't y'all hold him? Didn't y'all chain him? Didn't y'all tie him down? Boss, we couldn't. He was just gone. So the demons know he rose from the dead. The demons know he's Lord. But they don't have corresponding action. And because of that, of course, they're going to spend eternity in hell. Well, it's the same for you and me. If we just believe but don't have corresponding actions, it doesn't put us on a different plane than, than demons. Praise the Lord. So if you look at James 2, around those verses, he talks about faith without works is dead. That's the corresponding actions, right? All right. So just as actions, your actions prove your faith, there are actions that prove repentance. There are actions that prove repentance. We're talking about tonight the power and proof of repentance. Praise God, man. This is not exciting to preach about, but I got to do it. I got to obey God. Hallelujah. I want you to look at Matthew 3.8. Matthew 3.8. Because John the Baptist talks about repentance. He's talking to the Pharisees and Sadducees. And he says to them, they come to him, he's out there baptizing, and they come and they think they're going to get in some, you know, they're going to impress John with their little, you know, uh, robes and clergy collars and all that kind of good stuff. Hallelujah. He, remember, John is baptizing unto repentance. Right? The baptism of John is unto repentance. He wasn't baptizing anybody uh, in the Holy Ghost. He's baptizing unto repentance. 
So he tells to the Pharisees and the Sadducees, when they come to him, he says in verse 8, therefore, bear what? Fruits worthy of repentance. He says, y'all are coming and y'all want to get it on this, on the, on the show. He says, but you have to bear fruit, fruits worthy of repentance. So repentance has fruit to it. Y'all are quiet in this Presbyterian church. Repentance has fruit to it. There's proof. Uh, fruit is proof. So when there's real repentance, there will be proof. Glory to God. Hallelujah. See, there's a lot of folk, I'm just telling you this, take, take this how you want to take it. A lot of folk think they're going to heaven and they're going to bust hell wide open. Because they gave their hand to a man, they signed a little card at an at a outreach, and they never had any fruit worthy of repentance. See, because when you really give your life to Christ, when you really repent, that's what, that's what uh, uh, Peter said in Acts 2 and 38. He said, repent and be baptized, every one in the name of Jesus Christ, for the mission of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. See, you, you, there's repentance that's involved, and that repentance will be evidenced by fruit. Thank you, Lord. Let's look at this. Matthew 3.8. I'm going to let y'all go in a minute, boy. You can go and eat your burger. Matthew 3, 8. Look at the, the, give me that in the CEV, please, the Contemporary English Version. Can you read it with me? Ready, read. Do something to show. Do something to show you have really given up your sins. So you can't say I'm now, I'm now a child of God and I repented, but, but I'm not giving up my sins with some proof. So you got to do something. In other words, there's got to be some fruit. You gotta, you, if you love Jesus, you ought you to show some sign. You got you to show some sign. We were saying that back in the day. You got to show some sign. Hallelujah. There ought to be some evidence. There ought to be some evidence in our lives that we're born again. Hallelujah. Not just about, you know, how we talk, talk in tongues. That's wonderful. That's a sign to the unbeliever. But to the believer, the signs ought to be that we've given up our sins. Hallelujah. We used to say it like this deep back in the day. The places I used to go, the things I used to do, the things I used to say. See, I've been changed, see, because that, that's the fruit of repentance. Hallelujah. Y'all grew up in the same church I grew up in. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. I don't do that. See, some, there's got to, see, that there's, thank you, Lord. There's supposed to be some kind of marked difference in our lifestyles between when we used to go this way, now we go that way. There's got to be a difference. There's no difference if nothing has changed and nothing's actually changed. I don't care, you can, you can be baptized six times in Jesus' name, in the Holy Ghost, Father, and the Son. You can be baptized in, in whatever name you want to. You, we used to say like this, you go down a dry center, you just come up a wet center. When you get up out of that tub, something ought to be different about you on the inside. Something ought to be different with, about you on the outside. We used to sing this song, Elder Warren, something on the inside. 
working on the outside. Oh, what a change in my life. Something ought to change. Something ought to manifest that I'm a different person. If any man be in Christ, he's not a better creature. He's a new creature. All things have passed away. And behold, come on, all things will become new. So do something to show you have really given up your sins. Give me that same verse in the easy to read, ERV. Y'all ready? Can we read it together? Ready, 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 read. Change your heart and show by the way you live. So notice, change your heart. Change your heart. Oh, so something inside has changed. See, repentance is about how I think. Remember, as a man thinks in his heart. Proverbs 23, verse 7. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. So something has to change in my heart. If something changes in my heart, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Hallelujah. Now I think differently. I used to think that way, but now I think this way. I used to see the world that, that way. Now I see it this way. Here's it. Watch this. I used to see sin this way. Now I see sin that way. I was walking the other day and I was thinking about Moses, man. Moses, Moses, that was a dude, man. Moses was a dude. And the Bible said Moses gave up, I'm, I'll let one of y'all preach this, pleasures and treasures. The Bible says he gave up the treasures of, of, of Egypt to serve God. And he chose rather to enjoy to, to walk with God and enjoy the pleasures of sin. Pleasures of sin. So sin is pleasurable. I'm going to come over here. I'm going to come over here. I said sin is pleasurable. But it's only for a season. Because at some point, when it starts itchy, burning, and scratching, and 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 and, and all the stuff and the, your mind is gone and you just you can't think straight and everything blown out the uh, you know what I'm saying hallelujah come on y'all grown folks stick with me stick with me grown folks it's only it's only pleasure for a season those pleasures will pass away it's a fleeting pleasure hallelujah Hallelujah. I know I'm right about it. Y'all can be all quiet up here, but I know I'm right about it. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. He had a change of heart. He had a change of heart. He had a change of heart. You know what happened with Moses? Purpose became more, more powerful than pleasure. You got to come to a point where your purpose becomes more powerful than, than any pleasure. Your destiny, your divine assignment becomes more powerful than any pleasure. And I'm not, I'm not going to slip and tip and take a chance of missing out on my destiny, on my assignment, and my purpose that God's given to me. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Go to uh, Acts 26. Acts 26. Acts 26. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. New Testament. Acts 26. Thank you, Jesus. Tell your neighbor, I had a change of heart. <laughs> Anybody ever told somebody else that, man, I had a change of heart? I was, I was thinking about doing this, I had a change of heart. 
Think, I was thinking about marrying her and I had a change of heart. Think about marrying him and I had a change of heart. <laughs> I was head over heels and I had a change of heart. Praise God. Acts 26, verse 19 and 20. Y'all there? Now, this is Paul, Apostle Paul, before King Agrippa. You know, he's being put on trial. He's trying to get to, to Caesar eventually, but along the way, he runs into King Agrippa. And look at Paul's testimony, verse 19, Acts 26, verse 19. Listen to what Paul says. He says, therefore, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus and in Jerusalem and throughout all the region of Judea and then to the Gentiles that they should do what? Repent. Repent and what? Turn to God and This is New Testament. This is way on the New Testament. This is definitely after the cross. Now, John was before the cross. So if you want to argue me down on that, I, okay, I'm going to argue with you on that. But this is Paul who taught us about grace. Oh, no, Paul taught us. No, 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 Paul taught us about grace. We wouldn't have had a revelation of grace without Paul's writing. But yet Paul said that my job was to get people to repent Turn to God. Now, if you're turning to God, you're turning away from somebody else. Repent, turn to God, and then watch this last thing he, the Holy Ghost doing there. And do works befitting repentance. It sounds just like what John said. Fruit. Worthy of repentance. So let's look at that in the uh, CEV. The CEV. Both verses. 19 and 20 in the CEV. Glory to Contemporary English version. I just want to put in, put in common vernacular here. King Agrippa, I obeyed this vision from heaven. Verse 20. First I preached to the people in Damascus, and then I went to Jerusalem and all over Judea. Finally, I went to the Gentiles and said, stop sinning. That's pretty plain now. Say, neighbor, stop sinning. Stop sinning. Say, stop sinning and turn to God. Stop sinning and turn to God. That's what repentance, he, he's saying. Stop sinning and turn to God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Then prove what you have done by the way you live. So your life is going to prove that you have stopped sinning and turned to God. Hallelujah. Tell your neighbor, there must be some proof in your life. So when one repents, everything changes. Everything changes. Now, let's go to our main scripture here, and then we'll, we'll get ready to rock this out here. 2 Chronicles 33. 2 Chronicles 33. Hallelujah. I'm going to start reading at verse 1. Okay? Y'all going to ride with me? And um, at least through verse 8. I'm going to read 1 through 8, and I want to read it in the... Uh, the easy-to-read version. So they'll put on the screen for us, please, and then we can go back to New King James. So I want you to see, because I want, I, want, I want you to see Manasseh, King Manasseh, and how deep, how deeply involved he was in sin. Because it's good news to us that no matter how deeply we've gotten entangled in sin, God is gracious. 
God is forgiving. God is loving. Hallelujah. And when you see what King Manasseh got into, you're going to be like, oh, Lord. So let's look at this. Um, verse 1. Would you all like to read it with me? Good, I'd appreciate that. Let's go. Ready? Go. Manasseh was 12 years old when he became king of Judah. He was king for 55 years in Jerusalem. Manasseh did what the Lord said was wrong. He followed the terrible and sinful ways of the nations that the Lord had forced out of the land before the Israelites. Verse 3, Manasseh rebuilt. Now hold on, stop, stop right there. So we're, he's not going to, the Holy Ghost through this chapter now chronicles how bad off Manasseh was. In other words, he wasn't like a regular sinner. We got some regular sinners, but no, these are serious. He, a high roller sin, I like that. You notice his father Hezekiah, when you go back to chapter 32 in the previous chapters, you read about Hezekiah's father. Hezekiah was a man after God's heart, a man who did what was right in the sight of the Lord. He tore down all the things that were wrong, and he had the people worshiping God, rebuilt, uh, uh, cleared and repaired the temple and everything, so forth. And, uh, but notice it says that Manasseh rebuilt the high places that his father Hezekiah had broken down. So that means Manasseh didn't follow in the footsteps of the generation before him. What happens so often in the body of Christ is it's, it's sometimes very difficult to get righteousness, holiness, and godliness to pass from generation to generation. It's, it's, it's a challenge because, because, you know, as you, you walk with God or your parents walk with God and, uh, and you, you, you just kind of, you know, follow along and you just kind of there. They're at church and they're praising God and having a good time and you're just there. And you're just there. And if you're just there and not, not going in like your parents, then now when the parents are gone and now you're of, of an age, you don't follow the footsteps of your parents. You will go against what your parents have done. That's why I try to stress this, parents. When you are bringing children to church and when you are leading children in the ways of God, don't let them be all tooted up doing other things, and they, they got, I mean, our kids, when they were growing up, they had to bring, we had to, they had to have paper, Bibles, and pencil or pen every single service, and they had to write down every single thing, they, and they, they got home, what did your daddy talk about? How many scriptures did, did your daddy use today? What did he talk about today? They, had, they, they, they were forced to listen because if you don't let them listen, if you don't make them listen, if you don't make them engage, they're going to make the wrong decision when it's their time. It is the truth. Hallelujah. And we were in church every night, Warren. The only night I remember being off was Monday nights. We were in church Sunday morning all day, from Sunday school to service. You went home, got a quick nap, played a quick game of football, and then you came back for YPWW at 6 o'clock, then church at 7.30, evangelistic service at 7.30, and we stayed in until 11 o'clock and had to go to school the next day. And still made good grades. And then we go to school Tuesday. Tuesday night we had Bible band. 
which y'all call Bible study, on Tuesday night. And then Wednesday night, because my parents pastored two churches, they had one in St. Peter and one in Tampa. On Wednesday night, we were at the church in Tampa for the same thing. Then Thursday night, we came back to the the church in St. Pete for the midweek, for the evangelistic service. And then Friday night, because they were in Tampa, we went to Tampa for church. And then Saturday, we had Sunshine Band. That was a little kid's church we had on Saturday morning. How many I remember Sunshine Band? Pastor Caleb, am I right about this? We, we, I mean, come on now. But we, we weren't given this option of, you know, just, well, do you want to go? Do you feel like it? And you can, you, can, you can go to sleep. Go to sleep. Stand your butt up. You better stand your butt up. Because you're ground too. All right, let, let me get this. Let me get, let me get, let me get. All right, verse 3. Manasseh rebuilt the high places that his father Hezekiah had broken down. Y'all, y'all back here. Come on, come back, come back, come back. We got, we got a long way to go. Okay, keep going. Uh, second sentence, ready, go. Manasseh built altars for the Baal gods and made Asherah poles. Now, let me, let me just pause on that. This is, this is nasty. If I could elaborate a little more, I would, but I got some young folk. This is nasty. When he built the things for Baal and the Asherah poles, y'all know what poles, people pole dance today. Now we got churches trying to do pole dance ministries. Y'all think I'm lying. We had a lady one time come talk to my wife about they wanted to, wanted to do a pole, pole dancing conference. You remember that, man? Pole dancing conference. Yeah, we, we got we to gotta show these women how to keep their husbands. What? You know how nasty the pole is, right? Astropoles. It was all about orgies and all the kind of vile things. And this is, a, this is one of God's people doing this. Astropoles. Keep going. He bowed down. He bowed down. He bowed down. Keep going. He bowed down to the constellations and worshiped those groups of stars. Aries and Leo and Capricorn and Sagittarius and Huh? That now people in church come over here. Now people in church are back now chasing these signs, these horoscopes. This is exactly what Manasseh was doing. Had the people of God doing this. What's your sign? Well, I don't know. I can get along because the Aries and Capricorns and Aquarius, I don't know. You know, we got we gotta be Capricorn. What's your sign say you how you gonna have the day? What? This is what they were doing. They bowed down to the constellations and worshiped those groups of stars. Ha, ha, ha. Ha, ha, ha. Verse 4, let's keep riding. Manasseh built altars for in the Lord's temple. That's what people are doing with all the, all the little, 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 the little uh, fraternity and sorority worship here. The Lord, had, the Lord said about the temple, my name will be in Jerusalem forever. Verse 5, he built altars for all the groups of stars in the two yards of the Lord. So he's not just doing this, he's doing it in God's house. Capricorn stuff all over here. <laughs> verse 6, verse 6, verse 6, watch this. He also burned his own children for a sacrifice in the valley of Ben-Hinnom.
But that's what idol worship does. Idol worship always requires blood sacrifice. That's why, that's why, ladies and gentlemen, you and I must realize the abortion agenda is not just about rights. The abortion agenda is answering the summons of demons who are requiring blood sacrifices. Y'all got quiet. And we got preachers and prophets and bishops endorsing the abortion agenda and don't realize the abortion agenda is not from man, it's through man from the devil. Because the devil always requires the blood sacrifice of children. Oh no, it's a woman's right to choose. That's not what it's about. Everybody, you know, you can't really tell. It's her body, and you know, you know, wait, 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 wait. Okay. You know, in church, we, we grew up, um, how many of y'all grew up in church? Old school church. We had something early in the church called the invocation. Yes. Yes. Now, in our modern church, we call it the opening prayer. We used to have a benediction. Now they call it a closing prayer. But the invocation was the opening prayer. Now, do you know, you know what invocation means? The invocation is to invoke the presence of God. It's a, it's, it's a summoning of God's presence. We want you here. So demons only imitate, the devil only imitates God. So he has his people doing invocations. So every curse, every chant, every hex, every vex, every spell, every abortion is an, an invocation. It is to invite the enemy into a place, into a region, into a territory. They always, you see this anywhere you saw immor immorality, you saw idolatry paired with it, you'd always see children being sacrificed. Now y'all may not like me anymore as a preacher, but I'm telling you this is what, we, what goes on. The beautiful thing is we can repent. Because, I mean, Manasseh was bad off. Keep going. He also used magic by doing soothsaying. Come on now. Divination and sorcery. He talking to the root lady and talking to the fortune teller and talking to the tarot card reader and sound bowls and the palm readers and the seances and Ouija boards. And... Come on now, y'all. Y'all better watch what the children are doing. He talked with mediums and wizards. He did many things that the Lord said were evil and made him, made God angry. Verse 7, Manasseh also made a statue of an idol and put it in God's temple. The very same temple that God had talked about to David and his son Solomon. God had said, I will put my name in this house and in Jerusalem, the city that I chose from all the cities on all, in all the tribes, and my name will be there forever. One more, verse 8, verse 8, verse 8. I will not continue to keep the Israelites off the land that I chose to give their ancestors, but they must obey everything I commanded them. The Israelites must obey all the laws, rules, and commands that I gave Moses to give them. <sighs> Y'all get the, see this here. Now look at verse 9. You can go back to New King James Version here. We can pick this up and round this thing, round this corner and go home. 
verse 9. Uh, uh, go back in New King James. Look at what it says. You got your Bibles. So Manasseh seduced Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Notice this. To do more evil than the nations whom the Lord had destroyed before the children of Israel. In other words, the devil will seduce, remember seducing spirits. He's getting church folk to do things that make the world blush. He's getting church folk to do stuff that the world like, oh, wow. Y'all doing what? I know it's right, y'all. Okay, look at verse 10. Verse 10. Man, I got to hurry up. Verse 10. Because it sounds like I'm not going to finish this here. And the Lord spoke to Manasseh. Now, see all, all that's going on? You see all that's going on? I mean, it's bad. God should just come through and just wipe them out. Just pop. Just, just open the ground and just swallow them up. But just see, just. If it was you, tell the truth. If it was you. And you was the one in charge. You'd have just, no, I'm pumped. Get y'all out of here. You'd have just started over. I'm glad God's not like you and me. God's merciful. God's a good God. Verse 10, and the Lord spoke to Manasseh. See? See, he spoke to him. And even in all that mess, he's still speaking to him. See, because conviction comes to reveal God's love to you. He said, he spoke, but watch, here's a problem, here's a problem, but they would not listen. They heard, but they would not listen. Something was coming, but they kept resisting the truth. They would not listen. Tell your neighbor, warning always comes before destruction. <laughs> How many years did Noah preach? That a flood was coming. 120 years he's preaching. Flood is coming. He's building an ark. He's preaching a flood is coming. Flood's coming. Wow, the sin, the sin is so bad. It's so corrupt. God's gonna destroy everything. And Noah's preaching a flood's coming. And people are just mocking him. Ha 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 ha. There's no flood. We don't even know what a flood is. Well, what's flood? It's gonna rain. Ha ha, we don't even know what rain is. Remember that never rained before. So that what, what Moses was talking about sounded what Noah was talking about sounded foolish. What's a flood? What's rain? But yet it was the word of the Lord. And he's preaching. And they would not listen. And they would listen until it was too late. And once that rain began to fall from heaven, once the, the depths were broken up in the earth, and Moses, Noah and his family made into their ark, and God closed the door, sealed them in and sealed the others out. Because they wouldn't repent. They wouldn't repent. Now, the same thing is present today. Hallelujah. Go to 2 Peter 3, 3 through 9. Let me, let me go get you here, and then I might just have to quit. 2 Peter 3, 3 through 9. Because I want you to see this. Say, neighbor, God loves you so much. Boy, he is so patient. <laughs> 2 Peter 3. Three through nine. I want to read these verses to you. 
2 Peter 3, starting at verse 3. Notice what Peter says here. Knowing this first, that scoffers or mockers will come in the last days walking according to their own lusts and saying, watch what they're saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. So notice they're, they're saying, just like, just like uh, when Mo, Noah's preaching, well, where's no rain? We keep talking about rain, ain't no rain. And here we are preaching about the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, about the, the day of the Lord, and people keep, they're saying, y'all been preaching that. I heard my grandma them talking about that. Jesus ain't, what Jesus, what you talking about? When is he? This is what they say. They've been saying that ever since the Bible days, and ain't nothing happening. Y'all, y'all can stop that lie right now. Y'all, y'all church folks are trying to scare people. Verse 5. For this they willfully forget. That by the word of God, the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of water and in the water. He's describing Noah's flood. By which the world that then existed perished, being flooded with water. Verse 7. But the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word, are reserved for what? Fire. fire. Won't be water, but fire next time, right? Until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. Verse 8. But beloved, do not forget this one thing. That with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. Here's the, the kicker right here. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness. Here's the reason why Jesus hadn't come yet, but is long-suffering toward us. Not willing that any should perish, but watch this, but that all... So what's holding Jesus up is that he's, God is waiting on people to repent. He's giving people time to repent, which means he uses people like me and you and all of you who will open your mouths to preach the gospel, to share the word, and to bring warning. And we are speaking, but the people don't listen. And if they don't listen, there's going to come a day because the Bible says Jesus Christ is going to come as a thief in the night. Not to us. He's not a thief to us, but a thief to the world. Because they're not going to have any clue. And he's going to catch them off guard. And all of a sudden, the words they've been hearing us preach and talk and, and minister for decades and generations and centuries will all come to pass. And they'll look up, and there's Jesus. And it's too late. Just like when that rain began to descend in Noah's day, it was too late. Tell your neighbor, don't wait till it's too late. Tell them repent right now. All right, let's let's read this and go home. Go back to that Psalm, Second uh, Chronicles thirty-three. I don't have time to really elaborate on this. Y'all, y'all, can y'all read this when you get home. Thirty-three, verse ten. And the Lord spoke to Manasseh and his people, but they would not listen. Therefore, the Lord brought upon them the captains of the army of the king of Syria, who took Manasseh with hooks, bound him with bronze fetters, and carried him off to Babylon. So notice now, here comes the punishment for their unwillingness to repent. Did y'all catch that? The punishment was for their unwillingness to repent. 
y'all, did y'all catch that? Not the sin, the unwillingness to repent. See, the sin was rampant, and God could have punished them just because of the sin. Bam! But remember, he came to them and talked to them. But they would not listen. So because they would not listen, now here comes the punishment. Did y'all catch that? So God, in his grace and his favor, is not just going to come and punish you and slap you down. He's going to come and say, hey, 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 get this right. Straighten this out. But if we refuse his voice, now here comes the punishment. So if you and I ever end up in any kind of punishment, it's not because of the sin. It's because of our refusal to repent of the sin. Well, that's good right now. That's good right now. That is good right there. That is good right there. Glory to God. And so let's look at the repentance here. Verse 12. Now, when he was in affliction, he implored the Lord his God and humbled himself greatly before the God of his fathers. Now, he, when, notice when he does this. When, when, when does he do this? When he was in affliction. Ladies and gentlemen, don't wait till you're in the affliction. You can, you can head off the affliction. Just repent. Just repent. Y'all hear me online? Just repent. Just repent. Don't wait till all the wheels fall off the cart. Now when he was in affliction, when he was in affliction, the psalmist said it this way, before I went astray, uh, he said, said, before I was afflicted, I went astray. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. So in other words, the, the affliction came because he went astray. But he said, no, oh, now I'm going to keep your word. I change your heart now. I'm, I'm going to keep God's word. Now when he was in affliction, he implored the Lord as God. The Lord his God. Isn't that good? And humbled himself. Tell your neighbor, you got to humble yourself. Greatly before the God of his fathers. Verse 13. And prayed to him. And notice, you remember we, we read his resume. We read his, his, his list of sin. How bad off he was. You think, man, this guy calls it a God. God said, man, bump you. I ain't studying you. You're a horrible, you're the most horrible person on this planet. But no, what happened? He prayed to him, and he, God, received his entreaty. God received his prayer. That means that no matter how bad off you may get, if God can get conviction to your heart and you cry to him, he will receive you. Heard his supplication and brought him back to Jerusalem into his kingdom. God set him right back up. Y'all missed that. Right back into this kingdom. Now, see, we like to teach, well, you know, if you come back, it's going to be a hard road back, and you got to try to rebuild. No, the God brought it right back to his kingdom. If he's going to restore, he's going to restore. Now, you and I, you and I may make people jump through all kind of hoops and over all kind of hurdles and you got to prove your love and you got to prove you right and don't treat me like that no more and don't talk to me like that no more. You, you and I may try to treat people like that, but God says, no, if I'm going to restore you, I'm going to restore you. Remember the prodigal son when he came back home? God, 
his father didn't make him go out there and serve in the field for 10 months and work his way back. He said, no, bring out the fatted calf and the ring and the robe and every, I mean, put it on him, put some shoes on his feet. He, he brought him right back to that place. Hallelujah. God is a good God. I said God is a good God. When God put him back in this place, then Manasseh knew that the Lord was God. I'll read this so we can go home. Look at verse 14. After this, this is after. After he got restored. After this, remember what he was before? Now here's the proof of repentance. After this, he built a wall outside the city of David on the west side of Gihon in the valley as far as the entrance of the fish gate, and it enclosed Ophel, and he raised it to a very great height. Then he put military captains in all the fortified cities of Judah. Verse 15, now here it is. He took away. See, when you repent, everything changes. He took away the foreign gods <laughs> and the idol from the house of the Lord. See, when you repent, everybody's going to know it. I'm going a whole different direction. I had a change of heart. I got to have a change of my life. He took away the foreign gods and the idol from the house of the Lord and all the altars that he had built in the mount in the mount of the house of the Lord in Jerusalem, and he cast them out of the city. Get this stuff out of here. Get the, anything that's going to get me back in sin, get it up out of here. Anything that's going to tempt me, get it back up out of here. Anything that's going to draw me, get out of my life. If I got to get off Facebook, if I got to get off the gram, if I got to get off Snapchat, if I got to get a new phone, if I got to move my city, if I got to change my job, whatever it takes, I got to get everything out of my life because I ain't going back there no more. I don't want to be afflicted anymore. And God spared my life. God, he didn't have to do it, but he did. He didn't have to save me, but he did. He didn't have to keep me, but he did. He didn't have to forgive me, but he did. He didn't have to restore me, but he did. So I'm going to change everything. He cast them out of the city. Verse 16, he also repaired the altar of the Lord, sacrificed peace offerings and thank offerings on it, and commanded. Remember, he was, he was seducing Judah to in all kind of sin. Now it says that he commanded Judah to serve the Lord God of Israel. He said, y'all, we ain't going to serve no other God. God's been good to me. God saved me. God spared me. Hallelujah. Children, the children in your house, and God saves you, saves you as a parent. He's children, we changing all the music. We changing all the stations. We changing all, no, we ain't doing that. No, God saved me. He, God brought me out. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Nevertheless, verse 17, the people still sacrifice on the high places, but only This is what we call fruit worthy of repentance. There's power in repentance. Because you, when you and I repent, God will restore us completely. And then when we are repentant and we, God has restored us, 
we return to that place and say, I'm going to clean out my closet. I'm going to clean out my house. I'm going to clean out my dresser drawers. I'm going to clean out my car. I'm going to clean out everything that's not like God. Anything that would influence me to go back into that mess that I was in, I'm not going to be a dog returning to my vomit. I'm not going to be a pig returning to the mud. No, I, God cleaned me. He washed me up, and I owe him my life. I'm going to serve God with everything I have, with every fire of my being, with all the energy I have. I'm going to serve God. And if you ain't going to join me, you can go ahead and keep kicking. But I'm going to serve God by myself if I have to. Because God restored my life. And I'm going to show God how much I appreciate. How much I appreciate what he's done for me. Does anybody here tonight will say, I appreciate what God has done for me. I was a mess. I was a wretched undone. I was a chief sinner, but God stopped. God stepped in. He spared my life. He, he saved me. He could have let me die and go to hell. I was a mess, but God saved me. God, I owe you my life. I'm going to change everything. I'm not going back that way. I'm not doing that stuff anymore. I'm going to change the way I walk. I'm going to change the way I talk. I'm going to change the way I live. I, if I got to change my friends, I'll change my friends because I'm not going to let anybody drag me back into what I used to be and what I used to do. Because I'm thankful for what the Lord has done for me. Anybody here feels like that? Why don't you get on your feet and give God a big praise tonight in this place? God, I'm so thankful. You didn't have to do it, but you, you didn't have to do it. You didn't have to do it. You didn't have to save me. You could have let me die. While I was wallowing in my sin, but you spared me. You spared me. You kept me. You're such a good God. You're such a good Father. And I want to bear the fruit worthy of repentance. I want to show signs in my life. I want the people who knew me to see a difference. The people I used to run with, I want them to see a difference. The Bible even says, I think it's Peter's writing, I'm not sure who it was, but he said that some will even think it's strange that you don't run in the same dissipation that you're used to. They, they'll think it's strange that you don't still run the way. You know, you, man, we used to like to smoke this weed. How come you ain't? Man, you don't remember, man. We used to like to hit it like that, man. They said they, they ought to think it's strange that you do not run with them in the same flood of dissipation speaking evil of you. They're going to talk evil of you. They're going to think you in a cult. It ain't in a cult. I've just been set free by the power of God. Just lift your hands all over this room. Just, just express your thanksgiving to God. Thank him for conviction. Thank him for conviction. 
Because that conviction is a proof of his love for you. Sometimes conviction takes a little minute because you're, just, you're trying to get through, get past some hardness in the heart. But eventually the Holy Ghost gets through to that place of conviction. And I realize, Lord, oh, man, I, I messed up. I, yeah. Yeah, God, I've fallen short. I've fallen short. I've fallen short. I, I just want to I want to live for you forever. I want to serve you. I want to, I want to worship you. I want to adore you. I want to, I want to bring you honor. I want to bring you glory with my life. When I look where he brought me from, how he brought me out of darkness into his marvelous light, I just want to say thank you. He brought me from a long ways off. He was so tender and so kind and so patient, so long-suffering. And if the devil had had his way, I would have died in my sin. But God kept me. Even when I wasn't trying to be kept, he was still keeping me. Come on. Just give him thanks right now. Just. I know the Bible says that we forget those things which are behind, but every once in a while, just, just think about where God brought you from and just, just say thank you, Lord. I thank you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, God, for being so good, for being so merciful, being so kind, for being so gracious, being so patient. Thank you that you didn't cast me away. You didn't cast me aside. Thank you that you didn't turn me over. You didn't turn me over. You didn't turn me over. You didn't give me up. Thank you that you didn't give up on me, God. Thank you. Thank you that you kept talking, you kept reaching, you kept pulling on me. Thank you, Lord, for the gift of conviction. Thank you, Lord, that you gave me time to repent. And God, we repent before you even now. God, we even ask you to search us and try us and know us and see if there be any wicked thing in us. We ask you, God, to help us to really make a real evaluation and not, not think of ourselves more highly than we ought to think. That, God, we would do as your word says, to examine ourselves and test ourselves and see whether we are in the faith. Make sure we've not drifted. Make sure we've not fallen off. Forgive us if we've left our first love. Help us to return to our first works. God, we don't want Jesus to remove our lampstand from its place. So we repent now. God, even those little minor things, things that seem so minor to us, 
little, little attitudes, little thoughts, little envy and little strife and little contention, little wrath and those little things that seem so small compared to what we hear about people in the world. God, we lay ourselves down at your feet. We lay ourselves open to you, Lord, for you to expose, turn on your light from heaven, expose every little thing. Get us back in line, back in line with you, Lord. Hallelujah. So we can walk uprightly before you. I thank you, Father, as you've given us the gift of conviction. We give you repentance. We turn our hearts back to you, Father, in every way, in fullness. Hallelujah. Yeah, Lord, yeah, we want to be like you. No shadow of turning in us. That we're so straight ahead, ahead, Lord, straight ahead and straight forward with you, Father, that there's nothing, no degree of separation between us and you, Father. And I ask you, Lord, tonight that God, as we have changes of heart, we'll also have changes in our lives. And we ask you tonight for the help of the Holy Ghost. Because, God, some things may be strongholds in the mind. Some things may be sins that easily beset your people. So we ask you for the help of the Holy Ghost, our alongside helper, to help us to walk right and live right and talk right and do those things that are pleasing to you, Father. I know without the Holy Ghost, we can't do it, God. Our, our willpower isn't enough. But God, by your grace, by your power, by the power of the Holy Ghost, we can do all things. We can do all things. To that anointing, one of his anointing that strengthens us. So tonight, I commend every person in this room and all those who are watching online, I commend them to you, Lord. Myself included. We commend ourselves to you. To be your vessels. Vessels unto honor and never unto dishonor. Vessels meet for the master's use. God, take our lives and do something with it. We thank you for full restoration. Full restoration. I pray that every broken thing is restored fully. Restoration. Every home, in every ministry, every one of our lives, restore fully. 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 In the name of Jesus. We love you tonight. We give you all the glory. We give you all the honor. We give you all the praise. In Jesus' mighty name, if you agree, why don't you shout amen yeah. and amen. Come on, put those hands together and give God a praise tonight. <laughs>